0: This excellent medical student-led podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as medical advice under any circumstance. We are back for episode 17. I'm excited for many reasons. The weather is beautiful today in Chicago, and we have two guests who are returning, which I think is a first. And I'm excited because I'm going to introduce them as Dr. Levinson and Dr. (laughs) Stathopoulos. And you remember them from earlier on in our cases, John. Both Dr. Sithopoulos had a case that presented as dysphagia. It was occlusion body myositis. And Dr. Levinson had a case that I think, if memory serves me correct, ended up being GPA. Yes. So we have a doozy for them today. We are a week from graduating and starting the next chapter of our lives. I'll let them just say hey and they can tell us what your guys' plans are before starting residency and then where you guys are where you guys are going to next.
1: I'll go first. So well, there's two of us Johns here, so it might get a little confusing. We've been we've actually rotated three times together and Many we've been times, infamously yeah. known as the Johns, since <laughs> yeah. we're the only two people in our class to go by John. But yeah, so I will be starting an internal medicine residency in Loyola this July, which I'm very excited for and before then, I'm just hanging out with my dog, being a dog dad, and then in June, I'm gonna be going to San Francisco and LA to visit some friends out there.
2: Very nice, I am going to do internal medicine out at Portsmouth Regional Hospital in New Hampshire. In the meantime, just enjoying all of that, which Chicago has to offer, I enjoy rock climbing, so doing that, and yeah, going actually out to the West Coast as well to see some friends and family there, and yep, just enjoying the time.
0: Awesome, that is for you guys. Dr. Evans, what's been going on with you? That much. Although I'm, I'm intrigued that that
3: John's been climbing the rocks here in Illinois.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they are <a> plastic rocks,
3: <laughs> so they are uh, out of, of gym. <laughs> the other nice thing is, is I think of it this way. So you guys are at the peak of your knowledge. <laughs> oh, so I don't, yeah, I don't know about today, that, Doctor Avery. Today is the peak, or this week is the peak, and I don't want to say it's it's downhill from here. <laughs> um, hopefully, it's uphill over the next couple of years. Absolutely. So, well, we're Really sort of excited, proud of you guys
0: for, for, for reaching this point, and you're going to be great with this case. So our first, Aliquot. We have a 20-year-old male. He's admitted after presenting to the ER for evaluation of 30 pounds of weight loss over the past three
1: months. So since the last time we've been on this podcast, I actually started listening to the clinical problem solvers a little bit. Amazing. So this amazingly came up where I think he calls it the high five sign, where if if your first instinct isn't to give them a high five, you're proud of their weight loss, then usually something's kind of wrong. And 30 pounds over three months, I would not give someone a high five. (laughs) So that's definitely a good starting. what do you think, John?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Yeah, I guess at this point still, it's like, it just seems so vague. So definitely ask them, you know, was there an intentional component to this at all? Just kind of see and, you know, kind of get a more, obviously I'm sure we'll get there, more broad review of of symptoms. So definitely...
1: And just like overall, I guess, big categories to think of. This is three months is even that quite chronic. So I guess some kind of malignant, any kind of malignancies jump into mind. I don't know, even like 30 pounds for an infection seems kind of fast. Over three months, even seems fast for that. T- yeah, too.
2: definitely. So. I would think also endocrinopathies obviously could contribute to that. And I think also, more so in a 20-year-old. If it were a 60-year-old, I think my differential would be more oriented towards malignancy. But in a 20-year-old, I also would con- consider psychiatric components. Also, you know, medications, any, any drugs that, that they've been using.
0: You guys are talking like seasoned clinical reasoning. <laughs> I have nothing to add. Let's go to the next aliquot. So a little bit more. He developed fever and chills at the time that he began to lose weight. He initially thought his symptoms were due to COVID, but self-tested himself twice. The results were negative. Sometime later, we don't know, his fever resolved. He denied rash, joint pains, swollen or tender lymph nodes. He had no GI-related symptoms, including nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, or constipation throughout the, the three months. No remarkable family history. He doesn't drink any alcohol. He does smoke marijuana on occasion. Does not use any other recreational or over-the-counter drugs. He is sexually active with one partner and. Didn't note that his ejaculate had been more yellow in color.
2: I think with fever as a reported symptom, I think definitely infection is on the, diverge, the differential to an extent. Interesting about kind of that sexual note that he noted regarding his ejaculate. So I think maybe an STI of some sort could be on the differential, like a pelvic and yeah, just STI of some sort.
1: And then so the, he's, has he continued to have fever and chills since getting COVID or was he a COVID fever, chills, then went away? So he thought he had COVID, but tested it and
0: didn't end up having COVID. Okay, his main—he did have fever throughout these three months that seemed to resolve on their own. So the main complaint for him now is the weight loss.
1: Okay, and then also something we could think of is autoimmune in general. There's definitely. cajillion g- lupus does a kind of a billion different things. <sighs> I think I guess we just want to start out basic here. We get like CBC, CMP. Yeah, I'm um, to like thorough physical exam and kind of go from there and exactly. I, I think some of it could be like the re, there could just be i think the sti could be something not related he might just have an sti who knows but obviously we should do wait, i think you mentioned an sti panel
2: yeah yeah that sounds great i think it's the lymph node comment is always something that sticks out because lymphoma could definitely be something we're concerned about in someone of this age with this weight loss but i guess obviously Not all lymph nodes are superficial to the extent that you can notice them on a physical exam. So sure we'll kind of get to more imaging possibly
0: later on. That's a great point, Fallon. I'm going to challenge you guys. And you've mentioned STI, which I think base rate-wise should jump up on the differential based on the Mm. unique finding we have. Does anything else, or what? I guess what other things come to mind that could change color and or appearance of
1: ejaculate? Maybe some... Besides just like an STI, yeah. I mean, some kind of weird fistula maybe from the like that's yeah. coming between like the, not my anatomy, is, my bladder to the, wherever the, whatever the I, I I apologize everyone, my anatomy is rough. I've been, been studying <laughs> up it's right in now. Inter- I'm not a <laughs>
0: urologist. Um, I think what you're getting at is like some kind of urine could
2: be yeah. Yeah, contributing to that. Definitely. And I think it'd be interesting to ask him, you know, does he have any blood in his urine? Does he know that his urine has that been any different either? Just does he have any pain when he urinates or anything like that?
0: All good thoughts. I am
2: really sort of blown away. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm blown away listening to you guys reason
3: and and you're doing it. You're doing it both logically and kind of effortless. That's to me, that's the cool thing is yeah. it just seems, seems so easy for you guys. Seems right so, now? They're
0: so smooth. <laughs> I have no probing questions. They're, they're like hitting everything, telling me what they want next, <laughs> why they're or what they're looking for. This is great. I think that's why we're both going to medicine. I <laughs> <laughs> just love discussing this stuff yeah. and, and really just engaging. Let's give you guys some more. So, physical exam, blood pressure 123 over 78. Uh, Heart 90 beats per minute, afebrile, normal respiratory parameters. The exam is, I'm just going to skip all the good stuff. It's not,
2: yeah, nothing good. to add. I always have to think a little bit, forgive me, just you know, converting kilograms into pounds. I think 60 kilos is, I don't know the exact, but I think I'm probably somewhere in that range. So 60 kilos is probably 160, something. I'm like 135. 2.2 is the number
3: I always remember. it's about one. You have a little under 135.
2: Okay. Does he appear cachectic or anything on exam? No. 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 Okay.
1: Yeah, this is... So the physical exam is normal, so... But I, I agree, the weight loss. 135, I guess, depending on his height, but still with the weight loss. Sure. Um... Yeah, I think the biggest thing is try to go to, like, CBC, CMP, see if there's anything going on. Like, yeah. you look at, like, any kind of uh, lymphocytosis, anything like that. Totally. Any just abnormalities we can pick up on. Because I think one of the things, you think about young people in this age group, a lot of it, I'm pretty sure leukemia was, like, ML is pretty common. among. I think it's, don't really do peds, so it's making this hard. But yeah. there's things that gather, yeah, jump into mind. I, I'm still, like, my brain is, like, if I had to get, like, Put my money down. I think it's some kind of malignancy.
2: But yeah, I think I'd be at malignancy versus infection at this point.
3: And again, Kevin knows I think this all the time. That is sometimes physical exam is meaningful, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because it says it says either you did a bad physical exam or something, <laughs> a bad physical exam, yeah. or they did a good physical yeah. exam, and so there's absence of findings on this exam yeah, that,
0: Definitely that are meaningful. <laughs> Thinking about what. Diagnosis totally. Let's do some lab data, and this is going to be the aliquot, so we'll break it down. His electrolytes were normal, creatinine was five, and glucose was 102. The CMP did reveal an AST elevated at 134, an ALT elevated at 119, mm-hmm. the ALPFOS was elevated at 347, and his T Billy was 4.2. Yeah. Total protein came back at 8.5. And the albumin was 2.7. ESR was also checked, and that was elevated at 40. Mm -hmm. And then on CBC, there was no leukocytosis, no anemia, no thrombocytopenia. And then some basic infectious workup was done that included HIV, acute hepatitis panel, and a monospot, which were all negative. And then EBV serologies, the IgM was negative, and IgG was positive.
2: Uh, You know, it's funny, last time I was on here, I remember we had elevated... um liver enzymes. And, you know, we were quick to point that out. And it was like, well, kind of keeping in mind that you don't just see AST and ALT only in the liver as well as ALPFOS. But kind of looking at that, it does seem more uh, hepatobiliary in nature to me. I know, you know, one thing that's drilled in, in med school is, you know, the ratio of AST to ALT for alcoholic hepatitis, which they kind of boast a two to one uh, ratio. I don't think this is quite there, but AST 134, ALT 119, ALPFOS 347. But yeah, I think that T-billy is pretty notable to me, when I think of elevated total bilirubin, I can think of hemolysis, then I think of you know hepatobiliary pathology. You know, and I'm sure maybe we'll get into a conjugated versus conjugated to see exactly what process is going on. And then also, obviously, the albumin sticks out to me. It seems like I, I don't, I can't really classify too much more at this point, but there's an inflammatory process going on to cause that albumin to be so low.
1: Yeah, and I just did a R, I just Calculate an R factor, because I just remember that we were actually on hepatology together yeah. and we're talking about that. And I put it in there, which for I guess people don't know what it is, you can do it at MD Calc. You put in the patient's ALT Alp And it came back with the ALP is very high, double check. So that's always a red flag, feeling bad. And R factor one, which pointed towards cholestatic injury, which and they recommended abdominal imaging when it's that high. Yeah. You think of things like that, especially in this age group. I remember we had a patient with um, yeah, I remember PSC that was, which is a really horrible diagnosis. I remember not much to do for PSC; it's just yeah. a really tough pathology to have. Probably going to need a liver transplant. So hopefully that's not the case with this patient. Yeah, I guess. it
2: I'm just kind of thinking out loud, John. Do you think PSC? Do you think that would be more chronic in nature, or you yeah. know, how would.
1: You're right. I would think that too because I feel like that develops over time. And this is so fast. Yeah, because even that patient, I remember he it wasn't. I'm trying to remember how to- it's so funny. I remember that patient myself. I'm trying to remember how it presented over time. I think he just, he came for something completely unrelated, and they just did a CMP and his lab values or something like this, and they're like, oh my goodness, and are, and they end up having to do an ERCP, and that's how they diagnosed it.
2: It's been a while since I've thought of you know microbiology that can affect the hepatobiliary tract, but I think that is also something maybe we can consider in a little bit, perhaps. I think the checking for mono is something, you know, I didn't really think about, but something with weight loss, you know, kind of unex- perhaps like unexplained fevers, I think, you know, mono is a good thing to check. Yeah. So that was, you know, something that I recalled looking at this next aliquot.
0: I'm just going to probe you guys with this. Johnny, John Sethopoulos <laughs> glanced over at the albumin being low. And then I just want to highlight again that the protein's pretty high. So there's a gap. What do you guys think about that?
1: Oh, yeah. When you think of that, isn't that usually something seen with like um, those uh, like multiple myeloma and those MGAS? Monom- yeah. And Those can't remember the term, some glomopathy, where that's concerning for that. Maybe we could do a calcium try to look at that. Because also, when you think of things like sarcoid, can affect the cold, so the gallbladder, I guess, kind of rarely, but kind of check on what, yeah. the, with the ESR. I'm also thinking it's a monoimmune process. So you yeah, be going on...
2: Totally, totally. I think if we could also, I can't remember the name of the test, if, you know, kind of differentiate between the proteins, like an electrophoresis perhaps, or something to see if we can kind of further class, classify those proteins. I think that's a really good point that, you know, thinking of multiple myeloma, obviously with this patient pretty young, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect that, but, you know, malignancy is definitely under our differential. So something we'd want to explore with, yeah, elevated total protein, low albumin.
0: Amazing discussion. Uh, you guys' reasoning, again, is just so smooth. You both are framing it, like, how this changes your thinking, but then bringing back information we already have, such as patient demographics. He's 20 years old. It's so unlikely that he has multiple myeloma. And you're just reminding that, but noting, like, this finding is abnormal, and you're pushing yourself to think about it a little bit more deeply. So,
3: I want to go back and ask you guys a question. and is... You guys both took hepatology a lot more recently. <laughs>
2: great rotation! It's yeah, really it fun great. rotation.
3: So, I guess my question is: is how do you think about patterns of liver injury based upon liver function tests or basic liver function tests?
1: And so, you meant, John mentioned earlier about the alcohol is usually going to be with the double of the AST or the ALT. And you think of Mm -hmm. acute versus chronic, where something really acute is going to be in, like, the thousands usually or very high hundreds. This is high, but this isn't screaming like that, where it's, like, some kind of acute virus. Like, all of a sudden, he has a fulminant hepatitis going on, Mm -hmm. some kind of, like, uh, acute Tylenol overdose, um, especially with the symptoms going up for three months. So this is something that's going to be more of a chronic issue.
2: Yeah. One thing I'd be curious to check, I think it's always a great thing to check whenever we have li- li- concern about liver function, is the PTINR to see, mm-hmm. you know, what the synthetic function is looking like. Because we have enzymes at this point, and the total billy, I think, is always really important to check. But I think p t i n r is also somewhere else I'd want to go eventually.
1: And probably maybe get a ultrasound. like to yeah, take a look if we could see absolutely. anything. And then from there, decide whether or not we're going to do MRCP. But, but that's I think that's further on right now.
2: Yeah, totally. All great thoughts.
1: Love it. So some time passed.
0: He was referred to GI, and they noted him to be mildly jaundiced appearing. Not mm. mad. <laughs> <laughs> his electrolytes largely didn't change. Important thing to point out is his creatinine did bump to 1.75. Mm. His AST, ALT remained elevated, Alkafos remained elevated, and the T-billy bumped a little bit higher to 6.8. We have. Similar findings with the protein and albumin, with the total protein being high and the albumin being on the low side. Mm. CBC was largely unchanged, other than a mild drop in acetylglobin from 13 to 11. Some other labs were checked, including a pretty basic autoimmune workup. ANA came back negative, RF was negative. C3 and C4 were both high at 234 and 66.5, respectively. They did do an SPEP, showed diffuse hyperglav. Hypergamma globulinemia, there was no paraprotein detected. The IgG was high, 1,798. The IgA was high at 382. IgM was normal. They did check a serialoplasmin and it was elevated at 64, with the upper limited normal being 36. Oh.
2: Trying to think with with Wilson's disease, I feel like a serialoplasmin usually super, super elevated. Trying to think, you know, 64, you know, where are we at with that? Now, just looking at some more detail that we have, we have some sort of kidney injury. We also have elevated C3, C4. We could think of a nephritic condition. I'm not, can't think of necessarily how that would explain the hepatobiliary picture that we have on board. And I'm I'm just kind of going through the new data we have. Yeah. We also have a mild anemia at 11, which is significant in my opinion. And then I think our MCV, we were at like 79 before. So maybe just slightly a microcytic, just slightly microcytic. But obviously this is kind of an acute, subacute, honestly kind of going to chronic picture at this point. So with many patients, we're not shocked to see a hemoglobin of 11. Great point. I'm
1: trying to add, and I think just looking at the hyponatremia may be a sign of decreased liver function. From that, you can get with liver failure, you can get atremia, T-bellies going up. Mm-hmm. I guess when you think of other things like Wilson's disease, you think of the triad where some kind of psychiatric or neuro, um, dysfunction. You look for Kaiser Flesh rings in the eyes, mm-hmm. which I guess I don't think you need necessarily opt-out we could take just to probably take a good look to see if you could see them. So we could do some probing to see if it's any psychiatric or neurological dysfunction.
2: I would say he definitely is at the age I would think of, you know, when Wilson's disease presents. So that's a really good point, John. Yeah, and those IgG and IgA levels are pretty high. Yeah, that is concerning. So what does that make you think
1: of? I mean, the ones I think, there's like Waldenstrom's, that's more of like if I remember, like, that's a kind of a visco- hyperviscosity disease and yeah. it presents to get like Raynaud's and they can have like retinal issues if I remember I think correctly. DVT, yeah. I think, and then other, something like that, which I don't know if that, huh. maybe you could do some Wait, probi- probing about that. I'm trying to think what else.
2: I think it can present with Bud Chiari. I'm trying to think. Yeah. I don't know if that would necessarily oh. explain like our liver picture at this point, but it's definitely a thought. I don't want
3: to Hypo violation. My <laughs> uncle actually had Waldenstrom's net, <laughs> net- <laughs> and you guys said he's the the only the only sort of manifestation. Sort of he, he, he didn't come blind. Uh, really, it is a hyper like you guys said yeah. hyper viscosity syndrome, usually associated with hyper IgM. Right. that's the, sort of the traditional thought around. They tell me I think it is always. Hyper-Ig. It is all.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask what you guys thought about it being not monoclonal, but we have IgG and IgA.
1: That yeah helps your thought process at all. Yeah, so it doesn't point in that direction.
2: Again, like diffuse hypergamma globulinemia is kind of sticking out. Mm-hmm. So if you were thinking it's like a malignancy in the blood, I think I would probably expect it to be more monoclonal in nature.
1: Yeah, and then like going back to the high ASR, you can get that from multiple myeloma. Again, the age is very young, and that kind of seems surprising for this. Let's see. Um, calcium or anything like that. I mean, I guess it doesn't have any bone for history of fractures or anything like no. that. So it's mm-hmm. on the back end of the differential, but it's not where I'm jumping at. Okay. Next steps. What do you guys want, I want to know more of? I'm going to get some imaging of the liver. Okay. Yeah.
2: I think ultrasound is where I'd start out things to think about because I think about people diffuse
3: you know, factions that
2: Yeah come of to the, my the, mind. Certain of the hepatitis viral hep hepatitis C is
3: hmm. one hmm. that sort of classic.
2: Yeah. And hepatitis C could explain this patient's, you know, mm-hmm. obviously kidney findings that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Can't remember, did we test for the did we do a hepatitis panel already? There's
0: an acute yeah. hepatitis panel.
3: Uh, that was negative. It was we got an acute panel, okay. The other thing I think about our the blood immunologic sort of diseases. And clearly there's some information here about some of these diseases, mm-hmm. not, clearly not all of them. have got the we've got your ANA mm-hmm the significance of those elevated complements. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm not sure what to think. I, I know what I I know what I think they're not, but I'm not sure yeah, I mean, what they are. Can you explain, though, what do you think they're- Well, about? I mean, when, what you say, I mean, now you start thinking about hypocomplementic right. processes, and you say, what are the hyacinths? You know? This is a classic. Yeah. You know, and so everything says, you know, this is not lupus or it's not a really close lupus like illness, right?
0: It, yeah. So it lowers the connective tissue type stuff. It
3: changes the
0: way I would think about what. Okay. I like that. All right, let's go a little deeper. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I checked your analysis. Significant for a protein of one plus. Ketones were negative, bilirubin was positive, no blood or nitrides. Urobilin was 1.0, which is elevated. No white cells, RBCs, epithelial cells, no casts or bacteria. Mm -hmm. We did scan his abdomen. We had an MRI that revealed large clustered lymph nodes slash lymph node mass in the periportal region extending up to the port of There were multiple other enlarged retroperitoneal lymph nodes. Noted. And he had mild adiosflenomyclyde. I think for me at this point, my differential is
2: lymphome, like some sort of malignancy still versus infection. Still, I guess autoimmune on the differential as well. I feel like when in doubt, I don't know if we're jump. if I'm jumping the gun. I think I would be curious to see a biopsy of those lymph nodes to see exactly what those show.
1: I agree. What was that saying? You know, is it tissue? The issue's it's the issue. issue. I think Kevin... <laughs>
2: I think, like, yeah, I can't remember who taught me that. But it may have been Kevin, actually. I think Kevin or Charlie, but that's a story for another time. Yeah. So I don't know. Would you? Do you think it's premature to jump the gun and call, I guess, probably IR at this point? Yeah, i like to
0: get a sample and see what's going on there. Let's circle back to the <laughs> exactly. second out the pot just for talking. The yellow ejaculate. What do you guys think about that now? Probably makes more sense now in the context of Bill Rubin. Yeah. That was yeah. a knowledge gap for me. I never had thought about that. But it is something we see on the UA all the time, like Euro Billin. Good thing to think about now. I guess if we have it could be yeah. a presenting sign for someone that is having elevated T billy. Yeah. And I may mean, also let me ask you guys to comment kind
3: of more on your analysis and, and what this makes you think, and what this makes you think so
1: I think, like, nephritic processes are off. So things were like, are major nephrotic. Like, 1 plus is, like, very minor. It's not something where you have, where before we saw the AKI, we were like, oh, no, maybe it's, like, hep C causing some nephritic or mixed-picture type syndrome yep. um, going on. I think that's less on the I think this is just from all the, over- like, the hepatic or cholestatic dysfunction going on, leading to all the excess bilirubin going in, causing damage. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that sounds good to me. I know we did check an STI panel. I would think that if someone has an STI, we would probably see some white blood cells in the urine.
0: So that kind of confirms that for me. Yeah. Tissue was the issue. A lymph node wow. biopsy was done showing granulomatous hepatitis. Wow. A lymph node biopsy showed mostly blood with minute fragments of tissue showing
1: granulomatous inflammation. So I think going back to it, I think I mentioned. Did I mention sarcoid earlier? I think or I don't think mentioned sarcoma. If I did, today. I was thinking it because um, I just think of granuloma as you think of that, and it can be in the, um, colostatic can kind of appear anywhere. I think to look at that, we can do an ACE level. Yeah, that's great. Go for that. Which is weird that we're not getting any presentation with the lungs. Maybe take maybe take a look at a chest X-ray mm-hmm. see if we can see any hilar Yeah.
2: I think, you know, sarcoid is such a crazy, it's such an interesting pathology because it can present in so many ways. I know the skin exam was mostly benign. And I feel like, especially in our board exams, that's something they really stress. That's not necessarily true because it can present so broadly. I'm trying to think of any other granulomatous diseases. I know TB is a granulomatous disease, which can present with weight loss and fevers. But I, I believe our patient didn't have any respiratory phenomenon or anything like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. We- I like
1: where you're going. What other granite pathologies come to mind?
2: It's coccidio. I can't remember.
1: Yeah, there's like chronic fungal infections, lungs, and then in this case, we'll, in the liver and the lymph node. It's not like foreign body, but that's not in this case. It's the We have seen that imaging, but there's some kind of your trauma. What about other non infectious causes?
2: I think certain
0: autoimmune diseases yeah. can. So you guys mentioned earlier. Yes, see. Yeah. yeah, that's right. We're we're nearing the end. There's just going to be a little bit more data. And they, they checked the quant gold, so they're also thinking about TV. They checked histoplasm, so they're thinking about the endemic mycoses. Both were negative. Mm-hmm. They're in an RPR, because why not? Syphilis can do anything. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> it was negative. There was one more test that uh, I think will reveal the, ne- the, the diagnosis for you guys. So I'm going to challenge you before we get there to... Put your nickel down. Tell me what you would do next, and what you think might be going on? One
2: thing, you know, it's really funny that we have not talked about, and I believe we got an did we get an MRI before? But one thing we haven't really talked about with weight loss, which is probably the most glaring, and I don't think that's what this is in this case, is a GI disease of some sort. I think Crohn's is also a granulomatous disease, but... I'm not sure if that really fits this presentation because he did not endorse any diarrhea or anything like that. But with weight loss and a younger person, I think Crohn's should be mentioned. But as we said, his review systems for GI was negative.
1: Yeah, and with Crohn's, you would more you would, I guess that's MRI abdomens, is not the specific test you're looking for to do. That's like you probably we'll maybe see some type like, of structures or something going yeah. on. But it's also what's tied is with. PSC is ulcerative glitis. They're yep. connected. I think I can't, I can't remember. It's some like if you have ulcerative glitis, you have a very high chance of being. If you have PSC, you have a very high chance of developing ulcerative glitis. Right. It's like, I can't remember what on I mean. this. It's like 70, 80% or something very high. I can't remember the exact mm-hmm. number. But I still am thinking, I think sarcoid is what makes the most sense with the lymphadenopathy. I'm not, don't, I don't think PSC really is tied in with that quite as much. Yeah. But I think those are my top two of my differential at this point. I agree. I think PSC is really high up there for me, or maybe some weird kind of lymphoma, but yeah. no. But that the granulomas that makes sense. You would kind of, you would see all those fun things like was it something, something the the owl eyes, all those I remember from pathology from a few years ago. or so if you're thinking hot like Cla- Hodgkins, Hod- but yeah, that we've seen the pathology from the so why not there. But I'm I'm that I'm putting my book down. I'm going sarcoid I'm only smiling here because one of our very first cases was, <laughs> yeah. was was an
3: older woman. I think she was in her 80s, and she presented with leg swelling, and that was her thing. That was her her symptoms, and she turned out to have Crohn's. Oh wow, wow! But clearly, she did not have a liver biopsy that showed granulomatous hepatitis, yeah. which is to me is such a cool it is such a cool diagnosis and differential diagnosis. And, and we haven't talked to, you know, I'm sure we get the ID people out here and they'll be telling us about brucellosis yeah. things yeah. like that. And you guys didn't ask if he, you know, a fan of un- <laughs> pasteurized milk, t- <laughs> anything like that. I guess it's, it's a bovine tuberculosis. Boy, there's so many, so many things that sort of sit out there and come into that differential diagnosis.
0: Just before we move on from this, because... I, I had to dig deeper on granulomatous hepatitis or hepatic granulomas, and the differential is much wider than I thought. There is it's mm-hmm. infectious and non-infectious. We've covered a lot of them, but one category you didn't really cover: viral. A lot of so HIV and infections associated with HIV can cause granulomatous hepatitis, but EBV, CMV, uh, Hep B, and Hep C and also caused wow. this finding. So just another thought. We can talk about it a little bit
3: later. And we didn't talk about meds because... Yes. Also, drug-induced liver Drug-induced liver injury yeah. may be probably the well, most I'm common. Amazing. People yeah. came to the end of all these cases that they that may have been the most common, and there's a mm-hmm. whole slew of, of prescription medications mm-hmm. that fall yeah. To me, means that there must be a whole slew of non-prescription medications or even over-the-counter medications mm-hmm. that potentially Yes. Yeah.
0: All right. They checked an ACE. There we go. It was markedly <laughs> elevated at 225, very likely suggesting the diagnosis of sarcoidosis and presenting as uh, hepatic involvement mm-hmm. versus pulmonary involvement, which mm-hmm. our illness scripts, you know, that challenges. Then we, John mentioned he didn't think. John L mentioned he didn't think. <laughs> you know, the absence of any respiratory symptoms swayed him away from sarcoidosis. But these findings were unique enough to keep him on that train of thought. And Ultimately, you guys got there and did it in such a smooth, expert way. I'm so impressed. And I'm just going to keep bragging because you guys have both been on already. And so we've (laughs) got to sit in these seats and listen to you the first time you were both on. And you guys did great then. And I don't know, it's been just a few months and your reasoning has just... Is exponentially that much more fluid and better. It's so impressive and so fun to sit in the seat here and listen. You guys have any reflections?
1: It was fun. It was good that and I I was wondering how much medical information I've lost since (laughs) you know, finishing my last rotation about a month ago. And glad that I still remembered something. So it was good. (laughs) I'm glad we got to it.
2: I think for me there are certain like certain pathologies in particular that really can present so broadly. I feel like lupus gets a lot of credit for that and syphilis gets a lot of credit for that. I think I would also throw sarcoid into that category and for me also endocarditis is also is something I think of when people are kind of having intermittent fevers with a wide array of manifestations. So I think sarcoid is just always something to have on your different especially in this case when it's, you know, coupled with some, you know, bio, some findings on biopsy.
3: I can't say this because I know some
2: follow-up on this case.
3: Yeah. And follow-up is this patient was started on prednisone. Okay. going a hefty dose of prednisone um, and returned. I think, four to six weeks later. And essentially
0: almost everything had
3: normalized by that time. Wow. And uh, was slowly weaned off the steroids. And I, mean, I know at the time that I could look into this person's chart that, that, that they were doing well. Mm-hmm. Really felt yeah. that, this
2: was, that this was the diagnosis yeah. and responded well to treatment. I think what's so interesting with this case is, you know, it's always funny after we go through this whole process to think about what the chief complaint was, and it was weight loss, you know? Yeah. Because with sarcoid, you'd expect more respiratory, and with the, really the fascinating hepatobiliary picture, you think it would be more
0: abdominal pain
2: and jaundice, but it was weight loss, so it's really interesting.
0: Just going to do some brief teaching points on hepatic sarcoidosis and just some interesting things I came across is that it's thought that there's an oral to anal gradient of involvement with 80% of cases involving the esophagus stomach. It's very rare to involve the GI system. Hepatic involvement does occur in about 5 to 20%. The presentation varies based on the anatomic site, the stomach being the most common of GI manifestations. Really non-specific symptoms. you got to think of other causes of granulomatous gastritis, though, if that is the presenting concern. So non-infectious etiologies such as Crohn's, infectious etiologies like H. pylori, TB, and then even idiopathic granulomatous gastritis. To, to highlight hepatic, the liver is involved in the majority of patients with sarcoid, although the clinical consequences of involvement are variable. So about 50 to 65% do have granulomatous on liver biopsy. But symptomatic hepatic sarcoid only occurs in about 5 to 15%. And interestingly, African American individuals are two times more likely compared to white individuals to have symptomatic hepatic sarcoid. Usually you'll see an elevated ALK FOS and GGT. Uh, AST, ALT is increased, but less so than the ALK really nonspecific symptoms. The the imaging findings are like what we saw in this patient with hepatomegaly and numerous hypodense lesions that range in size. And the pattern that is noted is they, they often do follow the portal tract. And like we've already discussed, you have to think about other hepatic granulomatous diseases because there's a lot of things you don't want to miss under the infectious. Care. And then to nail a diagnosis of sarcoid, you need... Three big components: a biopsy that shows the classic non-necrotizing granuloma in the symptomatic or incident organ. You got to exclude other causes of granulomatous diseases, including mycobacterial, fungal, parasitic infections, and then there needs to be some clinical, radiographic, histopathoid in at least one other organ system. So, good stuff to think about. Again, I'm so impressed with you guys and excited for your careers heading forward. Thanks for coming back for a second round of this. We'll. I think it'd be fun. Let's let's get intern year under our belt. yeah yeah <laughs> another to see yeah, totally how we do then well, to again yeah, yeah thank you Kevin and Dr I, Abrams I just fun. got a, you
3: know we talk about autoimmune diseases in a very broad mm-hmm. way and I don't know what you guys think I mean, this is something I read a long time ago but I still think of it and that is this concept of autoimmune diseases yeah and What's interesting is so it, it I think there's different ways to think about those, but mine mind is almost autoimmune diseases without autoantibodies. think of it, think of them that way,, mm. and some people say they're T cell mediated and some people say they're they're mediated diseases, and these diseases all three of them you really fall into that group, yeah, they do, and you know there's a hereditary group, which is I think the way we all might first learn mm-hmm. but. There at least is some thinking of organizing some of these diseases yeah. around sort of that concept. And you know, we put labels on all of these
2: things. Totally. I don't I don't know the difference. I don't know the difference maybe maybe they're all the same for and I guess the question is enough. like the treatment different and it might not be in some ways.
3: Right. And that, and I think you're and I think you're exactly right, John, and that is is that, that you know so The treatment of these diseases actually may be a little bit different, particularly sort of long term, because many of these diseases do become chronic. This person responded well to steroids in the beginning, but who knows if he's going to stay steroid responsive. Right. And it's so, in the back of my mind, they just hang together. They do. Sort of a way that, that makes me lump them into a sort of a special camp. Absolutely. mentioned all three.
0: You hit on all three of them. Yeah. Well, on that note, we'll, we'll end things for episode 17. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you
1: day. both. A lot Thanks of fun. for having us. It was great. Yeah. Thanks
0: again for listening. Person, time, and place. See you next time.